Warning, the following show doesn't represent the opinion of the IBL, its employees, or the local clown college. Hi, my name is Gary Savard, and I took a left at the valley. I woke up this morning, had a burning deep inside, like when you're feeling, it's all a big lie, I feel the pain. Welcome back to another edition of Left of the Valley. I still have a frog in my throat, but that's okay because I'm French-Canadian. My <laughs> name is Kevin and I am your host. And joining me as usual, we have a full room here today. Hi guys, how you doing? Hey, doing really well. Welcome everybody to our full room. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> of course, the uh, our matriarch of history, Nancy. Dear, how was your week? Listen, I've given up scary movies and just watch American politics. It's been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we have our friend, the Reform from Chilliwack. Hello. As well as Wonder Woman Martina. Hi there. An old friend, Jim. How you doing? Hello. And new to the crew, uh, certainly not least, our friend Tyler. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this is a show about positive atheism, skept- uh, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism. And thank you all for us, uh, for you guys to be listening to us on CIVL 101.7 FM. Guys, I want to do a little therapy before we, uh, because you guys, everybody knows that uh, you guys are like my therapy group. Um, a couple of people have approached me and have asked if we should do something about uh, the uh, U.S. Um, presidential elections that's happening in the states right now um i mean their their elections are always more fantastic than ours more entertaining but it's actually becoming violent now so i kind of want to take an informal poll of what you guys think should we here at lifted valley do something and uh, do a show about the u.s presidential elections no absolutely it affects us it's interesting there are a lot of moral issues that are involved i think it fits right into what we what we like to do Mm -hmm. i'm a bit torn because i really don't want to give a guy like donald trump i mean i know this is civl it's a small station and we're a small show in a small station but i really don't want to give the guy more time than he's already got way too much then maybe more time to bernie yeah well i totally would agree with that um you wanted to say something? Nope. I'm keeping my mouth shut on this <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about we do this? Let, let's put it out to the audience. Let's put it out to C, the CIVL audience. Uh, if you guys think we should do a show about what goes on in the presidential ex- uh, election, maybe explain how the, del- the whole delegate thing works and stuff like that, uh, send us an email. Go to uh, leftatvalley.com or you can send us an email directly to uh, leftatvalleyoutlook.com. Sounds good? Absolutely. I don't think we need to give more time to Trump, but I think the whole process is interesting. And there are a lot of us Canadians that don't quite understand how it's all going to work. So it can be educational, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I just want to give another little piece of news, which made me smile. And I thought you guys would uh, totally enjoy. Did you guys hear about this uh, uh, high speed chase in Redding, California? No. A a woman was being chased down by the police. And I'll give you a clue as to uh, who the culprit was. <laughs> it was the mystery machine. The mystery machine was actually being chased down uh, in, in California on the highway. 
<laughs> it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, it was near Highway 273, apparently, and the suspect is a Sharon Turnman, 51. <laughs> and the, you know what the worst part of it is? She actually got away with it. They haven't found her. I thought you were going to say she looked like Shaggy. No, 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 no. But, you know, if it wasn't for those kids, those meddling kids, she never would have gotten away with it, right? But she actually did. They're actually looking for her. So I thought I'd come in and actually put a bit of brighter news like that. <laughs> uh, today the show is about um, we're having an interview with atheist rapper Baba Brinkman. Uh, so we'll have, have that towards the end of the show. But let's move on with our usual. Nancy, you ready to go? I'm ready. There you go, dear. Alrighty, here we go. This day in history. And it's a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between March 7th to March 13th. So before we get into our first um, day, what do you think windshield wipers, Kevlar, liquid paper, Scotchgard, the modern furnace, and chocolate cookies all have in common? Anybody want to guess? Patent? Uh, actually, in, in a way, you're, yeah, you're kind of, uh, I'm going to use the word skirting the issue. And the reason why is because March 8th was uh, Women's Day, International Women's Day. And all of those items were invented by women. Sweet. So we can say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. And the earliest Women's Day observance was actually in, on February 28th in 1909 in New York. It was organized by the Socialist Party of America in remembrance of the 1908 strike of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, which is why it's primarily an international uh, women's day. Alrighty, let's move on to March 10th, which is Tibetan Uprising Day. And on this day in 1955, a U.S. patent was issued to Aaron S. Lappin for his invention of, here we go, dispensing valves for gas pressure containers. Any guesses here? I'll give you a second chance. Any guesses as to what that was? I know the answer, but I won't tell. <laughs> You're so good. It was a whipped cream dispenser for Ready Whip. Hey, Excellent. <laughs> the world is a better place for it. That's right. I always like to include something sweet in uh, this day in history. Okay, March 13th is K-9 Veterans Day. And let's go back to 1915. Picture this. Daytona Beach, Florida was the training uh, spot, the spring, spring training spot for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers at that time was a guy whose name was Wilbert Robinson. And he was a 52-year-old manager of the, the team. And he was always on the lookout for some kind of publicity stunt. And those were really big in the, I can't say the early days of baseball, because baseball goes back to the 1800s, even before. But to get the people in to see, it was always great to have some kind of a publicity stunt. So Wilbert, they called him Uncle Robbie. Uncle Robbie thought that it would be a great publicity stunt to have one of the members of the team catch a, a baseball that would be tossed out of an airplane. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, what could possibly go? What could possibly? What go could possibly wrong go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? So none of the players would accept the challenge. So Uncle Robbie, who had been an outstanding catcher for the Baltimore Orioles, um, 
uh, decided, okay, I agree, I'll do the catch. So the reason that they wanted to do this uh, stunt was that an aviator whose name was Ruth Law was in town dropping golf balls from her plane as a publicity gimmick for a local golf course. Well, that sounds kind of dangerous. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it would have been dangerous, but Law really owns her own page in American history because she had received her pilot's license three years earlier and uh, flew with a resume of first. She bought a plane from the Wrights, Orville Wright, and really? she flew with the Wrights. Wow. And a year later, she became the first a woman to fly at night. She was the first woman to perform loop the loop. She was a wing walker. I mean, she was great. She even became a non-commissioned army officer and flew promotional tours for the military. This is going back to pre-World War One. So, Goodness gracious! Oh, she, she, she was unstoppable. Oh, she was. She was. She was fearless. So everything was in place. They agreed to uh, have Uncle Robbie catch, and Ruth Law was doing the flying. So the day came. And uh, as fate would have it, Law marches up to her plane and realizes, ay, 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 I forgot the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But one of the crew members, since it's Florida, one of the crew members gave her a ruby red grapefruit, dropped it in her lunch pot, and said, what the heck? It's round. You can drop it. You can get your arm, you can get your hand around it. Go. Have fun. So she jumps in the plane, and she circled the field, and sure enough, she thinks she sees Robinson positioned in center field, so down she goes to 575, and I think it's 525 feet, and she swoops down, it's an open cockpit, and she tosses it over and zoomed away into the clouds, leaving everything behind her, thinking, it's going to be great. So Robinson is at center field. And he sees this nice round object being tossed out, and he positions himself, and he judges the trajectory, but he misses by that much, and down comes the grapefruit, strikes him in the chest, and knocks him to the ground. So, <laughs> so, be, so being a grapefruit, it explodes into this juicy pulpy citrus mess and it squirts into his eye and uncle robbie thinks oh my god i lost an eyeball what the (laughs) heck is this and and then he feels around and there's all this pulpy stuff on his chest he thinks my chest is opened up i'm wounded i'm dying and i'm losing my eye and he opens his mouth to ask for help and all of a sudden it's like what does that taste like it's a Oh, my God, it tastes like grapefruit. <laughs> and, and then he realizes everybody around him on the team is laughing, and he's figuring out what the heck just happened. So everybody's laughing, and he loses this you know, idea that he's going to die, and he starts to laugh and gets up, and the game goes on, and <laughs> it just... <laughs> It's just they they had a great time until the team lost. And then <laughs> And then Uncle Robbie wasn't so jovial. But that's one of the funniest and best stories. What is it that, about baseball stories? I love baseball stories. To to the, make it even funnier is that from then on Wilbert Robinson always referred to airplanes as fruit flies. <laughs> oh, now, they don't teach you that in history yeah, class. I know. It just, everything came together and made just a great story then. So, what can't follow up with any.
anything better than that. Nope. So, dear listeners, that brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, and usual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Occasionally bizarre is the right <laughs> word here for sure. <laughs> Thank you so you, much. I should say usually bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Nancy. Oh, for, that's such a fun story. <laughs> my friend, you have news from the, the valley. I do, yes. Let's set you up. Cue it up. What's the song from? You know the song. Oh, hey, maybe we should put out to the listeners, see if any listeners can guess the name of the artist or artists. It's a punk group, right? Let's give them yeah, a it's a, it's a punk group, DC punk group. That's all I'm going to say. If you can uh, email us and tell us what it is, maybe we'll give something away. Left at Valley at Outlook.com. All right. So, Reformation Report for March 13th, 2016. Religious discrimination, yes. Qualified, No. Does anybody remember the story of the Trinity Western grad, Bethany Paquette, who claimed her application to uh, work in Canada's north with the Norwegian company Amaruk Wilderness Corp was rejected because she was a Christian? Well, the British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal awarded her $8,500 after finding that the Norwegian company refused to hire her because, in part, of her religion. The graduate of TWU received an email response from the Wilderness Guide Company who informed her that she was not qualified. Olaf Manunsen, the company's hiring manager, wrote that Paquette wasn't qualified and unlike Trinity Western University, we, the company, embrace diversity and the right of people to sleep with or marry whoever they want. Now, as we know, TWU plans to open a law school and that has drawn national criticism because of its so-called community covenant that forbids sex outside of marriage uh, and also uh, marriage uh, only exclusively between a man and a woman. Interestingly enough, when the Human Rights Tribunal uh, gave their verdict, um, they ruled that, yes, religious discrimination had factored into the decision not to hire her, but it also found out that she actually wasn't qualified for the position in the first place. And so she was actually denied loss of wages. Wow. So, and that was part of the original email was they said, you're not qualified, and you went to TWU. So, anyway, okay. That's an uncontinuing story we're going to have to follow for yes. quite a while. Uh, here's a story of inclusive or exclusive. And this is kind of a sad story. Um, Li Thayun, or Thayan, sorry, a Buddhist monk who fled Vietnam uh, for a refugee camp in the Philippines in 1988 and then later moved to Canada 27 years ago, uh, settled in the Lower Mainland. In 2002, he bought some land in Burnaby for just under a million dollars. And he started adding structures to the house. Uh, He built a temple, a dining hall, a room, uh, several rooms, sorry, and installed plumbing and wiring. The Vietnamese Unified Buddhist Congregation of BC could draw up to 100 or more people for weekend services and on special events up to over 1,000. But somebody in Burnaby, gotta love Burnaby, somebody in Burnaby complained to the building permit, sec- building permit section uh, about the construction in 2014, and the inspectors showed up and told uh, Thayan that he needed to tear it all down, and the power and the city turned the power off to the till the work was carried out. Unfortunately, they then took him to court because he failed to apply for the appropriate demolition permit after oh, he started tearing it down. Now. This is where the story gets really sad, is that literally within meters of his property, 
There is an evangelical Chinese Bible church. There is a Filipino-rooted uh, uh, church. Uh, and there's also a Hare Krishna temple. All of these, as well as a golf course and some baseball diamonds, all of these are on anything but agricultural land. And this was the argument Burnaby had with uh, the Buddhist monk, is that, well, this is agricultural land, and you didn't apply for the appropriate permit to bring it out of agricultural land. But apparently, these other buildings are also on agricultural land. So there's maybe a little bit of discrimination hmm. going on. Anyway, so uh, yeah, he's had, to, uh, he's had to basically put the property up for sale, and he's actually moved out to Chilliwack. Oh, uh, which is why the story kind of has a, a home feeling to it. Because, it was, but yeah, I just it was just kind of a sad story that you know he was. I think it was a level of discrimination, but I could be wrong. No, it's, a, it's a, certainly a good point, and it's interesting to see. I wonder if there is a big Buddhist community in uh, the Chilliwack area. Uh, there is a growing Buddhist community in the Chilliwack community, um, but that's maybe for another show. As yeah, I of course. Like to say. So we all know the great Christmas movie Miracle on 34th Street, 43rd Street. What is it? 34th Street? 34th. Well, I have a Miracle on 150th Street. Nope. Sorry. (laughs) So back in January, this is another follow-up. Back in January, we briefly spoke about the Iraqi mother who was living in Surrey in Guilford. uh, And she had a son who was killed in 2006 in Iraq by a bomb. When she believed that the Virgin Mary appeared to her and consoled her for this loss. Miss Ramo said that the Virgin Mary, or Our Lady, made oil drip from the walls of her bedroom and delivered a message to her to pray for the Middle East. Did she have a permit for that? I should ask. That's (laughs) a good point. Um, She said that when the Virgin Mary appeared to her, she was wearing all white with a rosary in hand. Shock horror. Afterwards, an odorless wine, or sorry, an odorless wine, an odorless oil with a faint yellow color appeared on the walls of her bedroom. She collects the drips of oil into cotton balls and small dishes on the floor, and she gives them away to visitors who come to the grotto to pray. Um, And it's now her bedroom has become a shrine. It's filled with boutiques of flowers, statues, images of Jesus and Mary, rosaries, candles, crucifix, as well as an an image of her, her deceased son. So here's the update. As per usual, when a miracle occurs like this, the Catholic Church can choose to investigate or not. And uh, the family's pastor, uh, or the family's priest, uh, from St. Peter and St. Paul Chaldean Catholic Mission, uh, he called the oil a blessing to the family and a sign to the refugee community that God had not abandoned them. He told the, the BC Catholic News in February that, I think it's a sign from the Lord for us, that his mother is with us, especially in this very harsh time in Iraq. Everyone is looking at the news in worry, and when we see Our Lady, she makes us comfortable. The message is, I am with you. I am not alone. And they get this from oil coming out of the walls? Yeah. Please tell me it wasn't urine. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it could have been. Um, so anyway, so the the local father collected information and reported this to Archdiocese of Vancouver and has also alerted uh, the Chaldean Bishop Emmanuel Chaletta in Toronto about the phom- phenomena. Now, this is the interesting fact about the Catholic Church and their investigations into miracles. Since the 16th century, the Pope's cardinals have been using a so-called miracle commission, which is a special kind of task force consisting of medical scientists who investigate whether or not saints um, have really caused miracles. The Miracle Commission canonizes saints in the Catholic Church. It sends out their investigators to investigate whether a person qualifies or not. However, the Miracle Commission does not investigate miracles outside of the canonization of saints. So basically, 
The Vatican doesn't study phenomena such as the you know weeping Madonnas or bleeding palms or phenomena such as of course is occurring not. in Surrey. Yeah. So basically, it's bupkis, right? yeah, these phenomena are only studied by the local church, and if they don't find anything of cheating. They can believe the phenomenon if they wish. Oh, jeez. So therefore, there's no way of scientifically proving or not proving. It's simply a case of, we believe it, it's happening. Duh. And, yeah. So there you go. And last but not least, I want to put a plug out. I'm going to put two plugs out. Um, so today, uh, in Jubilee Park, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., uh, the University of the Fraser Valley Department of Social Work students and the Guru Nanak Free Kitchen are holding a free feast. Uh, the event is open to the public and includes music, food, and the opportunity to connect with other people in the, the community because this week is the start of Social Work Week in BC. And, if I may, I'm also going to put out a plug to uh, a, a boss that I have. A boss, name, a boss, yes. I promised I'd put a plug out to okay. Miss Marcy Rosa, who's one of the best damn bosses in the world. And, uh, yeah, that's it for the Reformation Report. We might have to charge her for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, and we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. You're listening to Left at the Valley on CIVL 101.7 FM. And we're back. You like the little orange cross there? You, you were smiling at that. No, I'm smiling at you. <laughs> You're smiling at me? Oh. I'm just smiling at you. I do have a face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all do. <laughs> Which is why we're here. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, perfect. My dearest Martina, you have yes. a heck of a story. So let, let's, let's set you up with... Mike is all yours, dear. 
Okay, so we shall have it. All right, I truly wish this was a moment for some good chuckles and some snickering, but not this time. Um, it made the news back in 2013 and resurfaced this week as the parents have officially been charged. The raw story announced toddler died of meningitis after anti-vax parents treat him with maple syrup instead of medicine. Maple syrup? Yeah. Now, I love my maple syrup as much as any canine, but this is ridiculous. Well, hear me out. Okay. Other news outlets uh, focus on the fact that the parents own a uh, nutritional supplement company and that they are of Mormon faith. So, um, I found that intriguing, so I dug a bit deeper into this story to get a better picture and found quite a few things that irked me. The National Post refers to a statement that was heard in court and reveals that the family, I quote, prefers naturopathic remedies because of their family's negative experience with the medical system, end of quote, but offers no deeper insight into this, just the grandfather's claim that he insists that the family is not against medicine. This sounded like a personal preference to me, and so I decided to find out what follower, followers of the LDS faith have to say about the use of science-based medicine, and here's what I came up with. The website of the Brigham Young University, Provo, Utah. The Brigham Young University? Oh, jeez, yeah. That's like TWU worse. I give it to you straight. <laughs> um, a university led by the LDS states, that the, um, following, states the following regarding medical practices. I quote, Today many LDS women and men are involved in healthcare practices and research. Church members who are advised to seek medical assistance from competent licensed, licensed physicians generally believe that advances in medical science and healthcare have come through the inspiration of the Lord. They also continue to seek priesthood, uh, priesthood blessings together with appropriate medical care. You know, if, the, um, if medicine was based by the blessing of the Lord, then how come did Jesus only cure like one leper? Why didn't he cure leprosy? Right. Just food for thought. Probably went to the wrong univer university. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in short, well, this point makes it pretty clear to me that nothing but personal bias kept the parents from seeking professional help before it was too late. So as the story unfolds, a friend of the family, a registered nurse, actually told the parents she assumed that the child was suffering from meningitis. So just to be clear, meningitis is an inflammation of the meninges, the membranes that line the skull and the vertebral canal, and enclose the brain and spinal cord. And this is what I got from a swift search in Google. Meningitis, regardless of the bug causing the inflammation, is further described as marked by intense headaches and fever, sensitivity to light and muscular rigidity, leading, in severe cases, to convulsions, delirium and death. Now, the parents did what I just did. They googled the symptoms after being told that their infant son could have meningitis and then decided there was probably just a case of viral meningitis, a variety that usually runs its course within a few days, like a cold, and does not require any medical treatment. Well, that's a heck of a gamble to take. Oh, it's just mm -hmm. viral meningitis. Let's roll the dice here. However, when the condition did not improve after another couple of days without professional medical treatment, the parents turned to a naturopath for help. Mm -hmm. At first, they talked over the phone to a person working at the clinic who filled naturopathic prescriptions and told this employee that they suspected viral meningitis. When asked if this hunch had actually been confirmed by a healthcare professional, they referred back to the nurse, the family's friend, who had briefly checked in on the child. It is then reported that the mother of a child came to the naturopathic clinic a few days later, again, by herself to talk to the naturopath who recommended a tincture of echinacea. 
Again, a few days down the road, when it was obvious that this treatment had not worked either, the parents decided that the naturopath should actually have a look at the kid and proceeded to put the boy into the car. In the RCMP statement, the mother said that the boy was, and I quote, too stiff to get him into the car seat. Oh my god, yeah. Alarm bells at that point? Uh, you would think? Okay, I, I confess I'm not a parent and I'm not a medical professional either. But I just shared the symptoms of meningitis with you, so it's pretty safe to assume that the child was in a great deal of pain. Given that the parents have two older children, it's likely that they have seen their fair share of coughs, belly aches and runny noses and just rolled with it, assuming it was just another one of these childhood fevers that come and go. But the fact that they educated themselves about the symptoms of meningitis erroneously assumed that they could differentiate between a rather harmless viral variety, as you just said, and a case of a life-threatening bacterial meningitis, which is a feat is this difficult even for real medical doctors and usually requires lab tests, it, it makes me want to slap someone hard in the face and preferably with a chair. Jim, you might want to move a bit there. She, you, you're standing right beside her. We're not quite done yet. <laughs> <laughs> so after placing the kid on a mattress in the car to take him to the naturopath, the whole story gets really murky. As far as the reports go, the naturopath never examined the child. Maybe the parents left the kid in the car and just conferred with a naturopath. Maybe the naturopath did have a peak and was simply too inept to diagnose the sick child. Nothing definitive is to be found. At any rate, after this visit, the parents decided that if the boy's condition worsened, they would take him to a hospital. Okay, it did get worse. His breathing stopped several times on the way to rendezvous with an ambulance. He was resuscitated, received treatment for five days at a hospital, and was eventually taken off of life support. The medical examiner released the autopsy report. Cause of death was a combination of a lung infection resulting in an empyema, which is an accumulation of pus in an anatomical cavity, in this case the kid's lungs. And bacterial meningitis, a fairly common infectious disease up until a few decades back. Bacterial meningitis caused by HIV, which is short for Haemophilus influenza type B, don't make me say that again, Nope. <laughs> reached its peak annual number in Canada at... 526 reported cases per 100,000 children under the age of 5 between 1986 and 1990. 10 to 15% of survivors are inflicted with brain damage. 15 to 20% end up being deaf. The fatality rate is about 5%. In the five-year period from 2000 to 2004, the annual peak number of reported cases was 17. So what happened? In 1990, the HIV vaccine was introduced, targeting the most prominent cause of infection. The average annual rate of reported infections before the vaccine was 22.7. After the introduction, 0.9. I won't comment any further on the father's anti-vax stance. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> at this point, my anger actually focuses on the naturopath, and I refuse to add the title doctor who should have done something, just something rather than sending off the parents with their sick child. What happened to that part of that Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm? That's not the same as just do freaking nothing. As much as I understand the public bashing of the parents for neglecting their child's health due to ignorance and personal bias, in my opinion it's the naturopath who could have prevented the worst from happening. If there only was some mandatory medical training that enabled them to properly diagnose and treat severe medical conditions. Oh, wait, that's real medical doctors we're talking about. <laughs> Naturopaths, and please let this sit for a sec. Naturopaths in British Columbia were granted the right to prescribe pharmaceutical medications in April 2009. Back then, 
Christoph Kind, president of the British Columbia Naturopathic Association in Vancouver, said, It recognizes the validity of naturopathic physicians as primary care providers. I think I'm going to be sick now. Oh, you want to make a comment, Jim? I just had actually my second question was just answered because I was going to ask if there's a regulatory body that's going to regulate these naturopathic uh, people, but um, I just, uh, our friend just basically named the association, uh, British Columbia Naturopathic Association. Uh, do you know if it was given? Uh, it's a if it's a body that is recognized by the legislature of uh, British Columbia. Like, is it uh, is there an act that for th that creates these guys, or is it just a bunch of uh, people grouped together and calling themselves an association, like mortgage uh, brokers association, <laughs> which is God knows what they are. Or the left of the valley crew. <laughs> <laughs> or, left of, or exactly, left of the valley uh, crew. Oh, we're still watching what we're saying, right? Yeah. And we're not making any outrageous claims. Right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, because I, I actually know one person who advertises herself as a naturopathic medicine, but she's MD. So I, it's actually, I'm very curious to see what level of education uh, these people have. The second question I have for you was, uh, you said that there's an RCMP statement. Did Crown lay charges on this uh, person, naturopathic medicine and parents or not? Do you know if there's a criminal case going on or not? Uh, yes, the criminal case has just been opened, and um, these were mainly, this is just an accumulation of the things that have already been said and that are on record. So, uh, yeah, the naturopath and even the assistant who is making these, um, these concoctions uh, that the child and other patients are obviously treated with, um, yeah, they have been heard in court, and yeah, you can totally read how stuff like horse radish and other funky stuff is supposed to cure an infectious disease well there's no telling about that particular naturopath whether you know what standards there were whether he or she called called him or herself a naturopath and it was just a a title for someone who wanted to be in the health profession but really didn't have the background i agree that that person you know, is liable, but then it has to do with, you know, that person's training and what the relationship was with the parents. The whole thing is so appalling. I, you know, I almost had tears in my eyes as you were going through that to, you know, to see a little life snuffed out, you know, through, through ignorance and through, mm -hmm. you know, wi willingly ignoring what, what medicine could do to help save that child. Yeah, um, I did say, okay, I'm not a parent, so I haven't uh, any experience with how chick, uh, a sick child would actually behave or act, how hard it is to take care for a sick child. But again, it just took me a few minutes to to find the numbers on meningitis, the dangers of meningitis. And if somebody just mentioned to me, well, I think this could be meningitis, I would be out in the car on the way to the hospital. Well, <laughs> it, that it, I mean, in today's world, it, most people react to meningitis that way. It's in the news quite a bit. Most people are, and if they're in the nutritional business, they, they must have known, yet they willfully ignored what they knew. I, I'm saying this, I'm supposing this, I don't want to indict them, you know, mm. because of my anger. But you'd think that if they have any um, intelligence and, you know, at all, that they would have known the dangers of meningitis. But maple syrup looked like a better way to go. I mean, mm. uh, you know, it's just un unbelievable. Yeah. 
Pretty interesting. You're listening to Left of the Valley on CIVL 101.7 FM out of UFV and broadcasting throughout the Fraser Valley. I was about to go to commercial break, but this conversation has been going well. What's that noise? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, today's interview is is with uh, atheist rapper Baba Brinkman. Baba Brinkman is actually out of Vancouver. He now lives in New York. He's an atheist... uh, slash rapper hip-hop artist and uh, he actually uses his songs and his art to talk about issues uh from climate change to evolution so uh, we had an interview with him so i'm gonna go right ahead and play that okay our next guest has received praise from the new york times and even michael Shermer said that his art is to this decade what the god delusion was for the previous one he's a great dancer a snappy dresser and a brilliant artist trying to change the world ladies and gentlemen Baba Brinkman, how you doing, Baba? I'm, I'm doing pretty great, Kevin. Thanks for uh, thanks for opening with that quote. That was a, that was a pretty funny one when I heard it. See that we, we just love you here in the Fraser Valley. <laughs> <laughs> um, Baba, you know, um, you you're making some waves out there in the atheist world, but not maybe not everybody in our listening audience knows about you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I'm a, I mean, I'm a rap artist, but for several years, I've been making the subject of my rap be about science and about religion and about secularism. Um, you know, atheism is is something that I'm out about and I'm quite happy to discuss. And I've made like songs describing the reasons why I don't subscribe to religion or any version of the supernatural. Um, but, you know, the, it's it's one facet. My, my most recent album that I'm working on now is about climate change. And, you know, in that respect, the Pope is an ally. Uh, but when you talk about, um, you know, the, the uh, basis of morality or the origins of the universe, the Pope is an adversary. So, um, you know, it's an interesting uh, kind of stri- concentric overlapping circles and Venn diagrams mm-hmm. and strange bedfellows. But I, I'm basically making rap music about the big questions, intellectual topics, science, literature, philosophy, basically everything that I studied at university, I want to you know, turn it into a mainstream culture using rap. That's interesting. You know, mo- it seems most artists in the uh, hip-hop rap world, um, they, they express personal issues. Uh, why did you choose activism instead of talk about, you know, your lost love or something like that? Well, I, I, I do talk about personal issues, but I, I mean, I guess I'm just a, I, I just like big picture stuff. That's, you know, I, I don't like small talk. I like big talk. Uh, and I and I get I get bored with all the cliches on the radio and how you know how many songs can you make about lost love before it's all been done before? <laughs> I mean I know we we are a sort of intuitive, uh, emotionally driven species, so I'm not completely cynical about the reason uh, certain content proliferates in mainstream pop culture. But I feel like there's an appetite for being intellectually stimulated by your art. I have that appetite. I like smart movies and smart music and smart comedy. Uh, and, I, you know, there's not there's no music out there that's smart enough for my appetite. So I'm trying to make the music that's going to be the most thought-provoking songs you can imagine somebody making because of how deep they go into intellectual content uh, without sacrificing the quality of the rhymes and the beats and the and the fun part. Yeah, because it's interesting because usually uh, when it comes to activism, it's much more of a, a visual media. So have something that's mainly auditory is uh, is an interesting take. And uh, I take from your success, it's been very well received. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I would say visual is important to me as well because 
basically like I make as many music videos as I can afford to make. Music videos are just more expensive to make than albums. So I've recorded a lot more songs than I've made videos for. But anytime I've gotten a grant or a, a, you know, a videographer has volunteered to spend some time on a project or I've done a crowdfunding campaign, um, you know, I got more than 20 videos on my YouTube site. And, you know, that's really like the natural conclusion of a song is a music video. And if I had my way, I'd make a music video for every song I ever recorded. Hmm. That's very interesting. Because you're right, people do respond to the visual, don't they? And you can get thousands and thousands of views on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, like people will listen to the song when they're not watching a video, but there's something you can, you can just really get the ideas across with a video uh, most clearly. Um, you know, um, I'm into sales and there is this whole salesman trick. When you ask a question to somebody and they have, they have to think about something and then you look at their, uh, their, um, their body language, it will tell you what type of person they are. And it seems that the vast majority of us are visual people. And maybe that's why the the film industry works so well when it comes to activism. But it's very interesting to see that, you know, you've taken that one step further and add a uh, a uh, auditory uh, side to all this. Well, I think there's definitely some parallels between art and marketing and salesmanship. Because, uh, you know, when you're on stage performing, you're first and foremost selling your ideas and selling your performance and selling your persona. And if the audience isn't buying it, then the show does not last much longer that's <laughs> fair enough now we always hear about the uh, scientific or the political perspective on certain issues i guess i i'd like to ask what is your artist perspective i mean where do you think we stand on so, some of these issues you talk about well i'm i'm influenced by by provocateur artists i'm influenced by um you know by by great writers by by richard dawkins and stephen pinker and people that bring uh, scientific ideas to the mainstream. I'm also influenced by political comics like uh, Tim Minchin and Bill Hicks and Ricky Gervais and Chris Rock, people that really actually like take the the current political issues of the day and, and turn them into cutting social commentary. And then, mm. of course, rappers, you know, the sort of smart uh, storytelling uh, social commentary rappers, like the old school sort of Slick Rick and Rakim and Chuck D., was the first era of rap that I listened to, but there's a there's a lot of uh, great social commentary music happening right now. For instance, Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar, and uh, you know there's that tradition, J Live, Black Thought from the Roots, Talib Kweli. So there's a you know there's a lot of artists that that bring an idea to the forefront and combine analysis, activism, and also get emotions stirred up. And that's what I love about rap as a as an art form is that it's just it got, it's gutsy and it grabs you by the throat. And whatever its message happens to be, uh, you know, it's just really hard to ignore. So I think it's a great vehicle for spreading sort of awareness of, of secularism and, and rationalism and, and fighting against the uh, the ills of religion, which is uh, something I, I care about a lot. Mm-hmm. Between you and me, my golf club, favorite old school rap artist? Run DMC? Well... I think probably I'd have to either say Slick Rick or Rakim. Okay. I'd say Slick Rick because because of the storytelling ability, but Rakim, uh, you know, was just such an amazing lyricist. So uh, you okay. know that I, I remember when I heard "Paid in Full," I was probably like eleven years old. It's like you know, thinking of a master plan ain't nothing but sweat inside my head. You know, it's just like so evocative, just painting a picture with words. That's awesome. <laughs> um, is the issue more important than the art? Well, in the grand scheme of things, yes. You know, if I'm if I'm making a song about 
climate change, for instance, like the issue is threatening human well-being on this planet and the art is trivial. But on the other hand, when the issue requires consciousness to be raised or perspectives to be shift or culture to be changed, like cultural norms to be shifted, Mm -hmm. then actually the art can be the thing that dislodges the issue from being as entrenched as it's been in the past. So, you know, I think, I think the art is an important lever to move the issue, but the issue I think is, well, you know, the issue is more important, like in reality, but on the other hand, you know, if, if you just talk about the issue and you're, and you don't have style, no one's going to listen. Right. So when you're actually doing a performance, when you're creating a song, the art is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, you know, that's, that's one thing I love about rap as well. It's it's like, you know, the ethic is you got to move the crowd. It doesn't matter if you have something to say, how you say it is the key. And it's probably better to be saying, you know, talking bullshit, but saying it in a way that's really compelling than having a deep message and saying it in a way that no one wants to listen to because then you're getting nothing off them, right? You got to at least be entertaining. Interesting, interesting. Uh, um, have you run into opposition because your message is using art form to, uh, to, to, to be delivered? I mean, do people take you less seriously on the issue because you're using art? Well, I think it, it be, you know, it does, it does create a vulnerability because people can dismiss it as just merely artists. Exactly. You know, right. so I, you know when I, when I did, I tweeted some video out of a, of a rap I did on climate change and some climate denier on Twitter tweeted back saying, yeah, I get all my science advice from shallow entertainers or some, you know, bitter thing like that. And it's like, well, but you know, the thing that I try to do is I, I'm like a, I'm I'm a I'm a science communicator via hip hop. I really like my brand is peer reviewed rap and and I don't rap about science unless I've sort of run the concepts by a scientist and I'm in correspondence with uh well with with climate scientists for this new one, the last one which, which was rap guide to religion, uh there's this whole field of study which is evolutionary religious studies and I was sending the lyrics to the top scholars in that field. So, mm. you know, in a way it actually gives me a, a lot of swagger because I can stand on stage and be like, what, you know, I'm speaking for science. And there's like a, there's a sort of cocky mentality behind that. That's like, this is not just my opinion. This is me communicating the best understanding I could achieve of the facts and having that backed up by, you know, other scientists, by by other scientists. I'm not a scientist, but having it backed up by scientists who, who, you know, who have told me where, I might have miscommunicated something and I fixed that. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, I feel like if you have a problem with me, you have a problem with mainstream science. And then that suggests the problem might just be with you. Now, you got to admit, that's a great subtitle for an album. Peer reviewed, uh, science reviewed art or science reviewed rap. And that's, that's awesome. I love that. It's it's the headline on my website. Baba Brinkman, peer reviewed rap. You know, There you we wanna, go. If you want to describe me in one way, that's the way. I love it. I love it. Um, so when you look at, from the artist's perspective, of course, as usual, um, what are you positive about when you look at the future? I mean, you're, you're, you're throwing the message out there. Um, first of all, I guess, is, are people catching up to it? Uh, are they listening? And are you positive about the future uh, that we have as a species, I guess? Yeah, I, I really am, actually. And, you know, I think one thing I'm really positive about is just how much cooler science is getting. Like, it's happening. It's so It's so amazing to see... You know, that just because I remember sort of being a kid in the 80s and 90s and, you know, the, 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 
there's just this sort of stereotype of the sort of poindexter, nerdy, Urkel. Yes. Like if you care about information and data and if you know what statistics mean, then that means by definition you've got no social skills. And, you know, that cliche was beat to death. Yes. And, and I think it's it's pretty much dead now, actually. I mean, it's still obviously it's alive because, like, that's the whole premise of the Big Bang Theory is that you got to be Asperger's to be into science. But, you know... It, like th- there is a lot of cool mainstream culture, like the Neil deGrasse Tyson version. Uh, that is that is really like it's pop and it's fun and and it's competing for the same space that the shallow stuff is competing for, and it's doing a great job of it. So you know, I'm I'm excited about that, and that's you know that's a zeitgeist that I'm that you know I'm trying to push forward. You know, I'm trying to make I'm trying to make science cool, but it's not it's not just me. It's like the it's like a wave that's cresting, and I think that's. You know, that speaks well for the future. It takes us one step closer to Star Trek. No, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more. Remember, like, uh, I don't know how old you are, but remember the old documentary style was the the mating ritual of the giraffe is, it was extremely dry, extremely boring. So I guess, yeah. in that in mind, are we going to see a, uh, a Bill Nye, Baba Rigman album one day? Yeah, so um, you know, I've I've met Bill a couple times. He he lives here in New York as well, and uh, there's a funny sort of c- uh, consilience where you know we seem to touch on the same uh, subjects at around the same time. So he wrote a book about evolution. Uh, I put out an album about evolution. Yes, his most recent book is about climate change, and my next album is going to be about climate change. So we, you know, we don't actually coordinate. Uh, and in some cases, I actually beat him to the punch. Like my evolution album came out before his evolution book, but um, <laughs> you know, it's been interesting how we've landed on the same things in in a similar sequence. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out having him uh, as a feature on one of my projects, but uh, that, you know, there's nothing nothing specifically planned in, in that sense. But I can say, you know, he's he's definitely been an influence. Uh, you know, when people ask me what I do, I have said, well, it's like Bill Nye, but hip hop. Uh, <laughs> there was a time when if you said science communication, that was the only name that came up. Yes. Yes, indeed. Have you have you um, have you kind of had offers or um, doing some partnership with uh, other, for lack of a better term, mainstream uh, rap artists, for example? You know, if you do you planning on doing a show with uh, Drake or the, these big names by any chance? <laughs> Yeah, sure. As soon as Drake calls me, I'll I'll jump right on there. Uh, no, you know, I like I I interact with with rappers in in a, you know a similar kind of echelon to the one that I'm at. You know, I've I've got friends who are rappers that have sort of thousands to tens of thousands of fans, and I have I I don't have friends that are rappers that have millions of fans because the rappers that have millions of fans. You know, don't don't really have time. <laughs> yeah, I can understand I, that. <laughs> I don't have Jay Z's number in my phone. Let's say. Oh, I know. Just give it you to know, you. <laughs> that you. You keep on working to build your audience, and if I have a breakout hit, then that's when uh, you start to be able to collaborate. I got, you know, I I was I tossed some messages back and forth with a rapper called Mega Ren that I that I um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, and he was like, "Hey, I like your stuff." So, you know, let's uh, let's talk about doing a record together. You know, that kind of thing is a nice side effect of putting music out that people respond well to is that you get to interact with people that you were fans of before. Mm-hmm. Although for me, that ten, that happens more with authors than with rappers. I'll say, yeah, you know, yeah. like science, science writers and scientists who I'm, a, who I'm a fan of their writing. I end up in correspondence with, uh, you know, rappers tend to come across my stuff less often, often, uh, so far, but you know, anything can happen. Well, you're definitely a pioneer in the, uh, in the genre for sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, well, 
Thank you so much for your time, Bubba. But here's here's your chance. You know, the mic is all yours. Go ahead, plug yourself, be shameless, go right ahead. All right. Well, my next project is called The Rap Guide to Climate Chaos. And I premiered it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. It got some great reviews. And it's just been confirmed to do an off-Broadway run here in New York. So starting on February 25th, I'm going to be performing Rap Guide to Climate Chaos in a 200-seat theater, five shows a week. It's going to run for two months and maybe longer if it sells well. You know, they might just extend it through the summer, which I hope happens. And um, if you want to uh, support the project, I'm actually running an Indiegogo campaign right now. So if you just type in Bubba Brinkman, Rap Guide to Climate Chaos, uh, you can sort of pre-order the album and get various perks like tickets to the show and uh, T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff. So, um, you know, that's, this is this is the science of global warming uh, done as hip-hop. And I'll, I'll give you a little taste of, uh, of, of one of the raps. Um, acapella, I don't have the beat here, but, but you'll, okay. be able to, uh, you'll, get the beat, you'll get the beat from the flow of the words. All right, so how does the messaging around climate change go? Something like this. Be afraid, be very afraid, but we're not, despite what the scenarios say and the effect of talking about it is visible yawning and occasionally changing you're microscopically and even those who get it they tend to get it logically but not viscerally so we're navigating myopically the threat is existential it's not environmental and your individual response is inconsequential only coordination of our whole species is going to keep coastal cities from sinking below the deep seas and when was the last time a solution included all of us geophysics is at the mercy of geopolitics climate change communicators keep it positive people need to feel like they still have options and we do have options either we find a solution or we stick with the business as usual level pollution and get used to the wars famines droughts floods hurricanes heat waves murders thugs chaos refugees stress disease extinctions disasters ipcc which of course stands for the intergovernmental panel on climate change which is where you can get the best science and the up-to-date statistics on global warming thank you very much Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, his name is Baba Brinkman. Make sure to check him out. Thank you so much, Baba. Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for spending some time with us here today. No problem. My pleasure. And shouts out to everybody in Vancouver and in the Fraser Valley. Uh, I grew up in New Westminster and in East Vancouver. So, you know, I got a lot of love for that area. Excellent. Thank you so much. And that was Bubba Brinkman. Our own evangelical atheist. <laughs> <laughs> well, our own uh, atheist rapper, for sure, for sure. Well, that takes us to the end of our show. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening, and you can always follow us on uh, leftatvalley.com. You can send us an email. Uh, uh, don't forget to talk about uh, what we talked about at the beginning of the show if you want us to do a uh, U.S. politics show, leftatvalley.outlook.com. That's right. And if you have an idea for a show, if you have a rant, if you'd like to be part of our show, please let us know because we'd love to have a part of the community. As much of the community as wants to join in our discussions, you're very welcome. Yes, you just have to growing. let us know. We're absolutely we're glad you're there perfect and next week the show is about new atheism versus traditional atheism so it should be an interesting discussion yeah it should be all right well thank you so much guys for coming and uh, as usual and we'll leave you guys with a song from our friend uh, Bob brinkman this is the rap guide to evolution whoever is led to believe that species are mutable 
Paul will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So what you know about natural selection? Go ahead and ask a question and see where the answer gets you. Try being passive-aggressive and try smashing heads in and see which tactic brings your plans to fruition. If you have an explanation in mind, then you're wasting your time because the best watchmaker is blind. Takes a certain base kind of impatient mind to explain away nature with intelligent design. But the truth shall set you free from those useless superstitious beliefs in a literal Adam and Eve and that Edenic myth because their family tree is showing some genetic drift. Take it from this bald-headed non-celibate monk with the lyrical equivalent of an elephant's trunk. It's time to elevate your mind state and celebrate your kinship with the primates. The weak and the strong, who got it going on? We lived in the dark for so long. The weak and the strong, Darwin got it going on. Creationism is dead wrong. The view which most naturalists entertain, namely that each species has been independently created, is erroneous. Okay, it's time to reveal my identity. I'm the manifestation of tens of millions of centuries of sexual selection. Best believe I'm the best of the best of the best of the best of generations of competitive pressure genetically. But don't get upset because we got the same pedigree. You and I will find a common ancestor eventually if we rewind geological time regressively. And I can say the same for this hibiscus tree and this lizard and this flea and this sesame seed. And if you still disbelieve in what your senses perceive, I could even use this rhyme as a remedy because there's so much variation in the styles in this industry and differential survival when the people listening decide what they're into and what really isn't interesting. You could thrive like Timberlake on a Timberland beat or go extinct like Vanilla Ice and InSync. It's survival of the fittest, but fitness is a tricky thing. It changes from place to place, from winter to spring. But the real question in this social scientific simile is heredity. Whether we inherit our techniques from our predecessors or invent them independently. But then we're talking memes and that's a different thing. Richard Dawkins, can I get a proper definition, please? The weak and the strong, who got it going on? Live in the dark for so long. The weak and the strong, Darwin got it going on. Creationism is dead wrong. The weak and the strong, who got it going on? <laughs> Whoever leaves the most spawn. The weak and the strong, Darwin got it going on. Creationism is erroneous. I hear some people complain, like, I don't want to be an ape. I never came from monkey DNA. I believe God made me in a day. Jesus saves. Yeah, he's great. But stop being afraid to use the reason he gave you. Let science solve some giant problems and find some final results. I think it's time for y'all to let your minds evolve and listen to a different kind of silent call. The kind that comes from pine trees and not pine saw. I'm talking about the mystical vision that Einstein saw, wondering at the infinite depths of divine thought and realizing that scripture could never define God. Because if there is a personal God that he's been jerking off. So why would he bother designing an albatross when natural selection already does such an excellent job just by balancing benefits and costs? I say banish God into the gaps if he can't help us understand the simplest facts. I want to relax God of infinite naps. We'll be alright without him. Just give us a chance. The weak and the strong, who got it going on? We lived in the dark for so long. The weak and the strong, Darwin got it going on. Creationism is dead wrong. The weak and the strong, who got it going on? <laughs> Whoever leaves the most spawn. The weak and the strong, Darwin got it going on. Creationism is dead wrong. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. See, everybody's always talking about, do you believe in evolution? Do you believe in creation? Nobody believes in evolution. You either understand evolution or you don't. It's nothing to believe. Something to perceive. Feel. Experience. Do you believe in gravity? Gravity. 